that um, if you're not ready, it can hurt real bad. So, uh, but I think about when I started five or six years ago doing this, if I would have just jumped into the exercise that we did yesterday, I wouldn't have made very many reps at all. That's what they counted, number of repetitions of whatever the exercise is. And uh, I think, I wonder if sometimes in church, we don't just show up on Sunday, on game day, and we're, we're just not ready. We haven't prepared, we haven't done our work, we haven't, you know what I'm saying, what I'm saying, I, I think this morning is we're talking about um, the God of the nations, Holy Spirit, rest in me. We, we serve the same God that performed miracles through Jesus, or Jesus performed miracles by the Holy Spirit. That's who we serve. And um, I just think if our expectations would rise to the level of the one in whom we believe, that um, we might just have a tremendous, I don't know, we can't call it the CrossFit Games, but maybe like the Sunday Games, you know, I don't know what you call it, but like we would just come and we would be ready. And uh, not that I want to compare everything to a game day, but there is something, and Paul talks about this a lot, about being prepared, about uh, what the, the work we do during the week is going to get us ready for our times together. So I just hope that through the week you remember that. Wake up in the morning, spend some time with God, have a, some worship time or, or pray, uh, get in the Word. And it's so easy now. I remember when I was in, um, in high school, they haven't started my timer yet, by the way, so this is all free. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, I remember we went through this phase of, this was pre-podcast, you remember? Uh, the way you heard the Bible was like, if you wanted to listen to it, was by the tapes, uh, the cassette tapes, or you could uh, listen to Caleb every once in a while and they would be reading it there. Now they have podcasts. It's amazing. So I actually do uh, listen to the Bible every morning, and it's just a really neat way to do that. When I was in high school, um, sometimes we felt like if we just couldn't put in that time before you got busy, whatever, oh, look, it, you're not such a good Christian. Well, this is not what I'm saying either. I just want you to know that, man, God loves you, but he wants to spend time with you. And um, I hope you're doing that through the week. We are, uh, did I bring the mood down? I wasn't trying to bring the mood down. I'm just s seeing these things and I just get all excited about what God is doing, what he can do, potential for what can, God can do. We have so many things that are getting ready to happen around here. Um, the Easter egg hunt, which uh, is amazing. It's a great time. The grass is growing on the new dirt field out there. So that's good. Just in time uh, for all of the community to gather around to hear the story of Jesus. Um, it's, we're excited about that. The, the community garden that uh, we're starting and um, I, we are starting smaller. That's why, I mean, you know, we're not going to say, hey, our first year we're going to put out 50 places and everybody. We're going to start smaller. There's a limited space. So if you want to do one of those community gardens, then um, make sure you let Tom know that because it'll be first come, first serve on those things. And then uh, as we learn how to do it, we want to invite the community to participate in that with us because we live in a place where not a lot of people have a spot to have a garden. And I just think that it's uh, really neat that we have the space to do that. And let's invite the community, man. Let's rub shoulders with them. Let's uh, show our love to them, help them pick some weeds. You know, you, you really learn about somebody when you work with them. And then uh, I did want to say I, I had a whole speech prepared on his behalf, but um, I'm not going to do that uh, this last week. 
um, uh, we were able to give an award to uh, Alan Marr for all of the work he does as a volunteer, just a, a, an appreciation of what he does. I don't know if you guys know, when you see the video up here, it's, I mean, we're not a big room, but this is also what you see if you're looking online. Uh, look at him there. Thank you, Alan. Doing work up there. So I, I just uh, appreciate everything he's done. And so we were able to give him that this past week. I wanted to make mention and um, just grateful for what he does. So uh, today we're going to continue again in Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5 today. Finally, we're making some uh, good progress. Probably not a lot of weeks left in Ephesians. I will say as we go through it verse by verse, it, uh, it gets lengthy and uh, this is, will be the first time that I've ever done a series of messages this way, where we just go through an entire book. I know of pastors who have done it. I don't want you to get bored with it, but this is, Ephesians is such a good teaching for us as people who follow Jesus. I want to remind you, we want to be a church committed to an inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement. Spiritual practices and missional engagement. I hope that we say that enough times that you don't forget that because it is through those things that we will be a, a church that loves like Jesus so lives are changed. That's ultimately what we want to do. And everything that we want to be strategic in the things that we do. We don't want to just do things to do things. We want to do things in such a way that uh, the, the way we love people means their lives are changed. So uh, Paul's reminding us in Ephesians that the message of Jesus is one that calls us to repentance. Um, understanding that sin cannot exist before a holy God. It is a complete surrender of life. It is a transformation of our heart. And, you know, I, I say that over and over, and probably a lot of you have heard those words through the course of your walk with Jesus. But I think as we become so familiar with him that we lose the sense of awe and wonder about him. And what at one time the life change we experienced um, made us so excited and excitable for and about Jesus. As we get comfortable and familiar, that excitement begins to wane. And uh, Paul speaks about that too, to not lose our spiritual fervor. It's the same with any relationship though. If you've been in a relationship for any length of time with um, a spouse or a family member, brother, sister, mom, dad, as you're in those relationships, sometimes they become mundane and we've got to work to keep those things going. So I'm not going to recap the whole thing. I've, I try to do that, just giving you some highlights here. Uh, there is a distinctiveness of a believer and this is going to, I'm summing up four chapters here. Okay, so go back and make sure you're reading these good. A distinctiveness of a believer that is evident inwardly, outwardly, and spiritually. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He makes a difference in our lives, inwardly, outwardly, and spiritually. And that's what Paul's telling the church here. Um, as we get into this, by the way, I would encourage you to look at the notes for today's message in the app, the church app. If you open the church app, go to services, and then um, the sermon notes will be there as well. So um, I was reading something interesting. They did a survey of police officers in Scotland. Um, and uh, what they found was that they were asking them their religious affiliation. What caught my attention is that eight of the officers surveyed 
claimed that their religious affiliation was Jedi. <laughs> that was their religious affiliation. Um, I discovered that there's an increasing number of people, I don't know if you knew this, who participate in lightsaber training. Did you know that? And meditation. Everybody has a different thing, right? Um, the meditation is to increase their Jedi skills. <laughs> the point is, religious affiliation is often equated to something that we are a fan of, right? We are a fan of something. I am a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. You guys know that. I am a fan of the Texas Longhorns who uh, I'm so happy that uh, they did have a tremendous basketball win. But, uh, you know, I, like those are, those are things I'm a fan of. Isn't it interesting the way that fads grip us? Something comes through and it just grabs a hold of us. We talked a little bit last week about the fact that cultural truth is ever evolving. But God's truth remains the same. I read a book in a sermon series by a pastor in Kentucky. His name is Kyle Eidelman. You probably have heard of him. He, he's written several different books and sermon series. One that I read is called uh, Not a Fan. And um, Not a Fan is a great, matter of fact, we might do that here at this church someday. Uh, this, it's a small group and sermon and book. It, like it's, it's the whole thing. And I, I read it and I really liked it. You know, being a follower of Jesus is never about the current fad. And it's never about what's popular because God's truth doesn't change. We change, but God's truth doesn't. In fact, being a follower of Jesus is countercultural. It's just a little bit off center of what culture says. When we read about Jesus in the Gospels, surrounded by large groups of people, he preaches messages so often that I'm reading them going, well, those people are not coming back next week. <laughs> like it? You get it? It's a, it's a hard message. And we don't like hard messages. And we don't, we don't want to be taught in a hard way. We don't necessarily want to know those things. Sometimes it feels like that's what Ephesians is like as I'm going through. Um, Jesus didn't always teach people things that made them feel good, things that would make them draw back to him the next week. And I feel like, there's some, uh, some things we can learn from that. So here's what Kyle Adaman said. Here's why I'm bringing him up. A quote from him. He said, There is no believing without following. No salvation without surrender. No forgiveness without repentance. And no life without death. Jesus was never interested in enthusiastic admirers. It's the definition of fan, which is what I am, right? That's what we're talking about. Jesus was never interested in enthusiastic admirers. He wanted completely devoted followers who were willing to die to themselves before following him. So when we began this series, we started talking about people having to make a decision for Jesus, which is important. But just making a decision for Jesus is more than saying the words. Just saying the words possibly makes you a fan. Oh, Jesus, I love him. He's great. He's awesome. And then it stops. Being a follower of Jesus is what he's asking us for. Somebody who is completely devoted to him. Somebody whose life reflects the change that has happened. Right? So 
He wants us not only to be, um, not to be fans, but fully committed followers. And it sounds like in Ephesians, that's what Paul is advocating. He's explaining to people, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, here's what it looks like. This is what a life change should be. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. We've said that several times, but it's the evidence of the transformative power of Jesus in our lives. It affects the way you walk. It affects the way you talk. It affects the things that you think. Everything is different. It colors the way we view the world, following Jesus in the way that Paul has asked us to. I'm saying a lot of words to try to help you guys understand that what I want for you, what Jesus wants for you and for me is to not only talk about Jesus, but to follow him and that your life would be an illustration of that. And you know, and it helps you do things like love people that you never thought you could love. It helps you ride out a situation that you never could have ridden out before. The stress that comes into your life somehow is not quite as stressful because of the work of Jesus in your life. It just changes everything. My dad would tell me, and you, many of you have heard me say it, I've even said it from up here, to, when I was experiencing the highs and lows that a teenager experiences so often, <laughs> he would say, Cal, quit living your life from one crisis to the next. Quit living your life from one crisis to the next. If there's not a crisis, it feels like you're manufacturing a crisis. And you know, that has stuck with me. And it's something that I teach my family and my kids. Don't live from one crisis to the next. That's not what God wants for us. In fact, when the crisis comes because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, all of a sudden, it's not quite as devastating as it otherwise would have been. Because we have a different understanding of the way things go. So, they did start my timer, by the way. So, <laughs> you guys are like, wait, is he still? Uh, we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read the first seven verses. That's going to be our focus for today. And Paul's writing here. The last two chapters, by the way, we're through the first four, and then we got two more left. Uh, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual, sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Just uh, as I'm reading this, I want to remind you the context that Paul was writing in. Just briefly, if you remember, Ephesians is a place where you have Jews and Gentiles together. The church had become a, a mix of Jews and Gentiles. That's why we focused the first three, or he did, the first three chapters, and we talked about the unity that we should experience. What he had was, and we talked about this in Men's Bible Study because we're doing this on Saturday mornings as well, going through Ephesians. Uh, what he had was two totally polar opposite groups. And he's trying to help them understand that we worship the same God. And one side, he had the Jews 
who had come to faith in Jesus, but they were still bringing some of the traditional Jewish religion with them. They still believed in circumcision. They still believed in uh, Sabbath keeping or, you know, they, they did these things. And not that those things were necessarily bad, but that's not what saved you. That's what they were thinking, though. Like, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus and I still have to do. Paul says, no, it's, it's just Jesus. Then you had the Gentiles who lived in Ephesus who had such uh, deviant practices of worshiping their gods that they were bringing in a lot of, for them it wasn't a life change. It was, I want a special favor, so I need to pray to this God. And some of their worship even included and participated with prostitutes at the temples. So you had people who could not have been more opposite, right? Like just polar opposites who had come together. And so Paul's speaking to them saying, this is the, he's talking a lot in the first part about it's not Jesus and anything, it's just Jesus. And now he's saying, but if you have Jesus, your life will look like this. These things that you used to do don't do anymore. And he starts saying, you have to have a godly example. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. You know, I have, uh, technology is awesome and heartbreaking all at the same time. I have in, on my phone, um, every time I open my phone, it gives me a new picture. And I've got it set so that it recognizes, this is scary a little bit, but it recognizes my kids. So it rotates pictures of my kids. So it, every time I open, I never know what picture I'm going to see. It's a daily memory. Um, and I had a daily memory pop up the other day of Caden. He was probably two years old and he was wearing some work boots that I have and they came up to his thighs, you know, and he was such a small little guy. But I, I was watching that going, man, like that was such a sweet time in our lives, you know, really hard, but so sweet <laughs> that and, and he wanted to be like me. Um, he wanted to wear those silly boots. He couldn't even shuffle them across the way we learned having kids that we can't say anything we want anymore, right? Because kids are going to repeat it. Not only the words that you say, but the people that you say them about. <laughs> the kids are like the greatest consciousness <laughs> because it makes you think about what am I saying? What are the words I'm using? And who am I saying them about? Because kids, they, they emulate us. They imitate us. And that's what Paul's saying here. Theologians call this communicable attributes. There's a word for it. I bet you didn't know that. But it's not just a theological thing. Sociologists call it the social learning theory. It comes from two different places. Communicable attributes. Essentially, when we begin to follow Jesus, we now share communicable attributes with God. Or should. Another way to say it is the more we're around God the more we're going to act like him. We pick up his characteristics. I would wonder in, in our lives, can we evaluate it and see what communicable attributes of God's are we showing? If any. My dad used to say it like this. If you play in a toilet, you're going to smell like you know what. <laughs> Who you're around is going to impact how you act. What communicable attributes of God are we picking up? 
So what are these communicable attributes then? What are they? Can we name them? Well, yes, you would know them as the fruits of the Spirit. We've talked about several times. The more we're around God, the more we act in line with the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The more we're around Him, the more those things will be out of our lives. And don't skim over those. When we spend time with God, those become our personality. You might have even noticed it in your own life. People who knew you then and know you now might look at you sometime and say, I don't, man, that response is nothing like it, it used to be. Like it's different. Well, because you've been hanging out with God. Because the Holy Spirit is rubbing off on you. You're picking up those communicable attributes. I said last week, there's never a time, probably, that we're more like God than when we forgive in love. In verse 2, Paul gives the answer, how, how do we do these things? And this is what Paul says, walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering of the sacrifice and sacrifice to God. And he, he talks about it again, or the author of Romans talks about it in 5.8. If we want to keep looking at it, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This goes to some things that we've talked about. People have told me, maybe they've told you, as soon as I get right with God, I'm going to come to church. As soon as, and I'll never forget the time, it just sticks out in my mind. I saw a guy around town and he's, I don't think I've ever seen him at church. But every time he sees me, he knows that I'm the pastor. And so he'll say, hey, pastor, good to see you. I think I'm going to be there Sunday. I haven't seen him yet. But one time he said, yeah, I just, I just feel so bad because, you know, I just have a problem. This is, I just have a problem with drinking and I just know I can't go to church because I have this problem. And I told him, I said, no, 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 no. Come to church anyway. Let God fix whatever problem that you have. This is what God did for us. He demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners. He died for us. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's all about, and we keep coming back to this and I say it all the time, it's all about love. It's all about love. All of it. God is love. He communicates his love to us and through us, other people receive his love. It's all about love. At the end of the day, the walk of the believer is demonstrated in our unselfish love for others. In the same way that God demonstrated his love for us. What kind of sacrifice are we willing to make for people to understand that love? We know what sacrifice God made. We go on to verse 3 and 4. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We're talking about perverting God's love. We know that whatever God is doing, Satan is up to try to do something different, something counterfeit, 
Whatever God is doing. So God is about love. Well, Satan is going to pervert God's love by counterfeiting that. And counterfeit love says, I need you to fulfill my desires. That's how I used to explain when I was a youth pastor. That's how I used to explain the difference between lust and love to my teenagers. Lust is something that fulfills me. Love is when I fulfill you. There's a difference. Counterfeit love is really lust for something that fulfills our own desires. And it, it's not all about sexual immorality, but there is a part of that. And this word for sexual immorality in the Greek is pornea. You might recognize it because it's the same word that we get pornography from. It refers to anything having to do with extramarital sexual activity. And I just want to tell you that pornography is one of the most dangerous medium to ever be introduced to society. Not only is it demeaning to those involved, but countless studies have been done to show the negative side effects. So many so, I'm not going to go through it all with you, but you know the number of studies that have shown the negative side effects, even that it rewires your brain when you watch it. It changes the way nerves, the synapse fire in your brain so that it makes you think differently. It rewires you. Not only that, but it can entrap people. We know people become addicted to it. And I want to let you know that if you're struggling with that today, I implore you, seek help. Talk to somebody. Did you know that there are over 4 million active pornographic websites? 4 million. This is just a study done in 22. 40 million American adults regularly visit pornographic websites. So many that every second, 28,000 people are watching pornography on the internet. Every second, 28,000 people. Did you know that's more people than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined? Like it is a major problem. Make no mistake about it. Pornography is a tool of the devil. It is demonic in nature. And its only goal is to pervert the love of God so that we don't understand what real love is because it presents love in a lustful way. The next one that Paul mentions is impurity. And the Greek word there is in the same family as pornea, except it's, it's more general. In fact, it's a word that they use to describe uh, rottenness of decaying bodies in a tomb. This impurity word. It's, it's like if you, you've smelled roadkill, that's the word they would use for this. Paul uses it here to specifically refer to immoral thoughts, passions, fantasies, and ideas. We have to take control of our thoughts. We need to dwell on things of God and not perversions. And I'm saying perversions. This is not all sexual in nature. It's, it could be anything that we lust for. It could be money. It could be uh, 
you know, who knows what else, uh, the way we live, the, our neighbor's car, whatever. And the last one in this verse, greed or covetousness, pleonexia, the Greek word, is talking about a desire to have more than you are due. It has the connotation of exploitation, like it, as in uh, people who are trafficked are exploited. So it's kind of in that family. And listen, all three of these should be absent from a Christian's life. And if we go even further in verse 4, he says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. In obscenity, he's talking about not only do we not commit moral, immoral behavior, but we don't cultivate it in our thoughts. Just We can't allow it to take root there. He, said, he talks about foolish talk. This is interesting. Listen, I'm not trying to give a, a Greek lesson here, but I just find it interesting, the words that he used, right? This, this word is morologia, which is the same, it's the root word for the English moron. Morologia. They would have used it to describe the language of the drunkard. That's how they would have used it. They sound like a moron, Right? Morologia. So you understand that. And then he talks about crude or coarse joking. And, and that word means indecent talk. And they used it in reference of taking something innocent and turning it into something crude. I don't need to say anything else about that. Rather, he says, thanksgiving. This is what a Christian speech should be. Thanksgiving. If sexual immorality is grounded in the discontentment and greed, then the response to that is contentment with the Lord's blessings and thankfulness. So if it's two, there's two different things. Discontentment with what we have, with who we are, with our status in life. Discontentment, that's where all these other things are rooted. So the response then is something that should be rooted in contentment. We give thanks for it. The heart of the believer will not be coarse joking, but graciousness and thankfulness. Research, uh, research shows that, and this is interesting, people who are thankful will suffer less from heart disease. They will sleep better, and they will have healthier relationships and habits. Do you know that? Like there's something to being a Christian. Less heart disease, sleep better at night, have healthier relationships and healthier habits. If we are people whose hearts are full of thanksgiving. But you have to mean it. You can't say, well, God, I guess even though my house isn't as big as my neighbor's, I'm thankful for the house that I have, right? It's, it can't be that. We have to be full of thankfulness. I, I've referenced my friend and mentor, um, Pastor Bob Hennigan. He's, he's 80, I think he's 82 now. And he lives, this is the craziest thing. I've never seen a man 
more thankful for what he has and more reliant on God. I've just never seen it. He's a retired pastor now. He lives in the mountains in Colorado. 20 years ago or whatever, he bought him a little plot, literally on a mountain, built him a little, it was a shack at the, over the years, it's gotten better. No wires attached to his house. He has solar power. He had, like they don't have electricity out there. And he's just as happy and as thankful as he can be. Just living out there with, with his 92-year-old wife. <laughs> Having a great time, enjoying the snow, which they get plenty of. And truly thankful. And then he relies on God for everything. And you know, he truly relies on God. I've never seen anybody be blessed by God. And so, now, he doesn't have a big monster house in Denver or, you know, whatever. He has a little tiny shack up on a mountain, but he has everything he needs. He makes $10,000 a year off of his retirement. And uh, he's been given three cars in the last 15 years. <laughs> Just because God's blessed him, you know? I don't know. I'm just saying my goal, my hope is that one day I can just be thankful like that. Just happy for what I've got. Happy with my life. It's probably a lot easier on a Colorado mountaintop. Listen, I, I just, what I want us to get out of this is to understand that the life of a Christian is just fundamentally different. It really is fundamentally different. As I've been um, doing a lot of reading recently, one of the things that I've discovered, and I guess we all know, and I've mentioned it a couple times here, is that as believers in Jesus, community is so important for us. But in our culture, in the, in the American culture, we don't really do community very well. Because, and it goes way back to, it's inbred, ingrained, Inbred, I don't know if that's the right word, ingrained in us from the time of the founding fathers whenever they, we got the right to privacy, which is good. I, I'm not disagreeing with that right. But that is something that now we grow up thinking, like I have my private residence, I'm going to go in my house, I'm going to shut the door, and I want you to leave me alone. Well, the problem is, if we don't live in community, then we begin to have struggle sometimes because my brother sister is not as close to me to support me my I do have thoughts about my neighbor's house or the boat that I don't have or the you know but if we're living together and I'm not saying commune don't misunderstand me I'm just saying I think that we would serve ourselves better if we were a tight-knit community of believers who helped each other out and I believe that our church is on its way and I know several Sunday school classes and small groups and home groups have, have and are developing this uh, camaraderie. But when we exist in community, we can help each other out so much. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, we may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance which we owe only to God. Then they become gods. Then they become demons. Then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves. For natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. They are still called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred. The good news for us is that we don't have to deal with those demons alone. 
the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is greater than any scheme the devil can come up with. My encouragement to us is to not allow any of those things in our lives to become gods that become demons that seek to destroy us. When we love something else more than we love God, this is the danger that we run into.